Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Let me tell you about the worst job I ever had. Now, even as I start telling you about this worst job I've ever had, I know that some of you guys are going to begin thinking about the worst job you ever had. And I'm just going to warn you, as I'm talking about the worst job I ever had, some of you guys are going to be saying, dude, you don't know anything, okay? You don't work where I work. But I've worked a lot of jobs in my life. I've worked in warehouses. I've worked in indoor warehouses where it was really air-conditioned and big and vast. And I've worked in warehouses where it was outside and I had to wear a winter coat and sweat and be freezing. I've worked in crummy warehouse jobs. I've worked in copy shops. I was a copy boy at a lot of different places. I was, I was a debt collector. So I was a guy who called people when they owed money to, you know, the phone company or a credit card. I hope, thank Jesus, that I haven't called you, uh, but I might have many years ago because that was a job I had. I've worked a lot of really, really, really crummy jobs, but the worst job I ever had, hands down, was when I had just graduated high school. It was right before college, and I just needed a job to get me through the summer, just a decent summer job. And I got hired at Grady's Golf and Games. Now, for the record, if you work at Grady's or if you know the people who own Grady's, wonderful people, okay? Just, just know that. This is me, okay? Me, okay? I started working at Grady's, and my job was to be one of the, the carnival kids, okay? So I would sit at the little roller coaster, and I would take tickets and, you know, run it with kids on it, or, I, you know, I would sit in those areas, or maybe the bumper boats was an area that I also worked. I would sit and take tickets, and I would push the button. And I just got to tell you, there's, there's a lot of reasons why this job was the worst job I ever had. One was that the time just dragged. I mean, every minute, just you felt it. Every minute was an hour. It just took so long. I would look at my watch. There was no cell phones back then, kids. Okay, that wasn't a thing. I had to wear a watch. I would look at it and be like, oh my word, for real? Only 15 minutes has passed? I thought it was time to go home. And it was hot. It was summer. I was sweating. And those are bad enough. I mean, but you're like, that's just a job. That's what you do, right? There's, There's one major reason that I hated this job so much. And it's going to sound shallow, and if I'm shallow, so be it. But when I was young, I had a glorious head of hair, okay? It was just like, like anybody watch when you were, this is a kid of the 80s and 90s, anybody watch 90210? Like I was rocking that Jason Priestley thing, you know what I'm saying? I had the wave, I, my hair was glorious. I spent so much time on it, I wanted it to be perfect. I, it was probably such a point of pride for me that God was just like, I'm going to smite your hair, it's gone. I'm going to remove that hurdle from your life. I, I mean, I, I was great. Great hair. Another thing you may not know about me, maybe from a distance you can tell, is I have a very tiny head. So, like, most hats don't really fit me well. I could go to the mall and pick up a hat, and it's just going to come down and push my ears like this, and I look like I'm wearing a dad hat, uh, just because that, I have a tiny head. And so, one of the deals you had to do when you worked at Grady's is you had to wear the uniform. And so I had to wear a pink shirt, which I was okay with wearing a pink shirt. It was the 90s, you know, that's no big deal. But they gave you this, this big, giant pink, puffy baseball cap that said Grady's Golf and Games. And they hand it to me, and I'm like, well, I don't wear hats. I never wear hats. One, I got a tiny head, and two, I mean, look at this. I mean, you see that? You don't cover this up. You don't cover over the Mona Lisa. You just don't do that. And they're like, I said, do I have to wear the hat? And she's like, yeah, you got to wear the hat. And I'm like, like, the whole time, like, I, can I take it off if I get hot? Because I'm like, give me a reason I can take the hat off. She's like, no, you got to wear the hat all the time. She's like, oh, crap. So I take the hat, I put it on, and I immediately know I look like an idiot. And then I looked in the mirror, and I confirmed that I look like an idiot. And, and I was like, my greatest asset is now covered up. You don't do that. Uh, but then I went off to my, my, you know, my roller coaster station. I was running the, the little dragon roller coaster. 
I'm sitting out there. I'm sweating like a pig. It's hot. I got sweat running down the side of my head because the hat is making me hot, and it's big and pink and poofy and stupid looking, and I'm feel, I feel so dumb. And here's the crazy thing. Nobody is, at the, is there. Like, nobody's going on rides. It's the middle of the day. Nobody's around, and I'm just sweating, and I'm counting the minutes, and it's just so slow, and it's so hot, and I look so stupid. And I just reached a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I took the hat off, and I ripped it. Yeah, I'm just confessing, okay? This is, I'm just telling the truth. I ripped the hat, and I took the hat off, and I set it down. And then when, you know, my manager came by, she's like, where's your hat? And I was like, you know what? I, I dropped it, and I stepped on it, and I accidentally ripped it, and so I just I couldn't wear it because it was ripped. She's like, oh, well, I'll go get you another one. And she goes and gets me another hat. I was like, dang it. Came back the next day, and I forgot my hat at home. I forgot it. And I'm like, she's like, where's your hat? I'm like, oh, I left it at home. I'm so sorry. I'll just go without it today. She's like, no, it's cool. I'll go grab you another one. She would not let me go a second without wearing a stupid hat. And so I'm wearing the dumb hat. I'm feeling insecure. I'm in high school, and there's all these, like, good-looking high school girls who are coming through the park, and I'm wearing a pink shirt and a dumb pink hat, and I'm like, I look like an idiot. And, like, it's hitting all my triggers, and I was like, I just, this job stinks. I hate it. It was so bad that I was working the bumper boats one day, and I was just sweating, and I felt embarrassed and dumb that I was like, you know what? And I'm pulling the boats in, and I was like, I bet if I fell in, they would let me go home, and I wouldn't have to work. So I accidentally fell into the water with the bumper boats. I'm like, oh, no, look at me, my shoes. Oh, this is terrible. I, need, I really need to go. And she's like, okay, yeah, I'll go. Just come back after you change. I was like, woman, will you not get the hint? I was like, just fire me, please. So I literally, this job, I know that sounds like nothing to some of you guys. I worked that job for one week. And then I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I went and got a job at Office Max making copies. Now, again, some of you are like, are you serious? That's your worst job? Bro, you don't know a thing. And I just, can, I, I don't know a thing. In my defense, I will say that you didn't have that hair, okay? You didn't have it. You don't know. But the reality is, is there are really crummy and crappy jobs out there, right? And literally, because someone has to clean the porta-potties, Right? Somebody does that. That's a real job. There are crummy jobs out there. And we started a new message series last week called Made for Mondays. Because here, and just starting with this starting point, is that you were called for something greater than you realize. And as a, as a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here and you're a Christian, Sundays are big days because we come, we come to our service, and we gather together and worship God. And, and, and it's very easy to think that Sundays are what we're made for. We're made for this moment where we come in and we worship God and we hear his word, and then we can go back into our lives and we can wait till the next Sunday, and that's when we become Christians again. But we were not made for Sundays. We were made for Mondays. And last week we talked about how God has a bigger purpose for your life than to sit in a service. In fact, last week we talked about how Sunday is, Sunday is really just the huddle. The big game actually happens Monday through Friday if you're a follower of Jesus. Sunday's just the time where we get together. It's the pep rally before we send you off into the big game. Talked about how it, me, as, as the pastor of the church, it's easy to, in, to come into this environment and say, oh, the pastor, pastors, they're the ones who do ministry, and we support them, and they're the ones who really push the, push the ball forward and push it over the goalposts. And that's really not true. The reality is, is that I'm just the equipment manager. My job is to make sure that your helmet and your jockstrap fit correctly so that you can go play in the game because you're the quarterback, you're the point guard, you're the pitcher, you are the wicket keeper, which is a cricket term. I just looked that up because I thought it would be cool to find another sport, you know. That's you. You are the one who's playing in the big game. It's your job. My job is just to make sure that you are equipped to go out Monday through Saturday and live out the life that God has called you to live out. The game is not just played on Sundays. The game is played outside of these four walls in the rest of the week. 
But the question I want to ask today is this. Just accepting the fact that God has called us for a greater purpose. And that greater purpose doesn't happen in a Sunday service. And you know what? Maybe you're here, you're not a Bible person. You're not a Christian. You, you know, you got dragged here today. I, I would just tell you, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is kind of directed at followers of Jesus. Uh, and so, but I would encourage you, lean in and listen to this. Because for one, it could help you understand maybe how your Christian friend or, or parent, maybe how they're blowing it. And maybe how they need to do better. And it's, that always feels good. You know, you, you are superior in that. Uh, Or it might speak to this absence that most of us feel. I mean, everybody understands this feeling of wanting to live for something more. Wanting our lives to serve a purpose bigger than ourselves. Wanting to be chosen and called for something. And whether you're a Christian or not, God has a purpose and a calling for your life. But what do you do if you hate your job? What do you do if it just sucks? What, if you do if you, what do you do if you are just miserable every time you go into work? What do you do if you hate school? Like you just wake up in the morning and you dread walking through the doors of your school. What do you do if you're a stay-at-home parent and you hate your kids? <laughs> what do you do if you look at your, where you are in your life right now and you're like, yeah, Chris, you say I'm called. You say God chose me. You say God's placed me right exactly where he wants me, but I don't like it. It's miserable. And literally, my life feels like the equivalent of wearing a big, stupid, pink trucker hat on my head and covering my glorious mane of hair. What do you do if you are at a place where you hate it? How do you go about fulfilling and understanding God's unique mission for you where you're called if you just hate where you are at and you hate where maybe it is that you feel called? Seriously, we're going to look at a passage out of the book of Colossians. Now, Colossians was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. The Apostle Paul was a guy who started most of the churches in the very first century. He was key in just spreading the gospel and getting churches started. And so as a result, he wrote a lot of letters to different churches in different cities, just kind of giving them instruction and guidance on how to live. What does it look like to follow Jesus? How do we live this out? And he wrote a letter to a church in a city called Colossae. And that's why it's called Colossians, because the people who lived there were Colossians, just like we are. Bloomingtonians? Normalites? I don't even know, but they were Colossians. And so Paul starts with this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says this. He says, Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. So right at the beginning of what he's going to say, he's just setting, he's setting it up. And he's saying this. This is big picture stuff. Okay? This is, this is big picture. This is more, this is about more than just your job. That what I'm going to talk to you about, it goes beyond just your, your career or the eight hours that you spend doing your work. I'm going to talk to you about your life, okay? Big picture life. And he says, you need to let the gospel, you need to let the message of Christ in all of its richness fill your entire lives. So everything that follows is instruction about filling every corner of your entire life, more than just the 40 hours of your work week. And he continues, it says, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do or say, whatever it is, do it as what? Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. So here's the thing. There's, a couple, there's three things I'm going to make sure I want you to get today. And the first one is this. Your job is not your job. Okay? Your job is not your job. What you do when you punch in at work, what you do when you get into school and you sit in a class, that may be your job, but it's not your job. Your job is to be a representative 
of Jesus. Your real job, your big picture life job, is you are an ambassador. You are someone who carries the mantle of Jesus, the mantle of God, into every environment that you walk into. And that means this, that your career does not define you. Whether you love it, that's probably someone who hates their career. (laughs) Your career does not define you. Your job is not who you are. Your job is not your calling. Now that's tough because we're, we're raised to think, you know, you get, you get good grades in high school, then you go to college and you study for your career, and then you go into the workforce, and that's your life track, and that's who you are, and you follow that out, and that's, that's everything. That's who you are, and it's not. Your job is not your job. Look at, think about this. Think about just people from, think about Jesus. Jesus was an incredible spiritual leader, but Jesus had a job. What was Jesus' job? Jesus was a carpenter. He spent three years in ministry. He spent 30 years learning to be a carpenter. Jesus had a job. Peter, uh, Jesus is, you know, one of his best friends, key disciple. What was Peter's job? Peter was a fisherman. Peter caught fish for a living. Peter's brother caught fish for a living. James and John caught fish for a living. Four people who were, who were disciples of Jesus. They were fishermen. They had jobs. But here's the thing that we know about. When we think about these guys, we don't think about their, their jobs. What we think about them is we think about their spiritual calling. We think about the impact they had on the world spiritually because they, they were not defined by their jobs. They were defined by their spiritual mission. And you have a spiritual mission. You are not Jeff the auditor at State Farm. You have a mission, a spiritual mission that God has created you for. Your job is not your job. Look at the Apostle Paul. Like, what is the Apostle Paul really known for? He's he's known as being the person who wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote that. He's known as the guy who kind of laid out how churches and, and followers of Jesus are supposed to live their lives, giving them guidance and instruction on what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in the real world. Paul the Apostle. Paul the Saint. But Paul had a job. Paul didn't just quit everything and go start churches and God miraculously put money in his pocket or, you know, food into his lunchbox. lunchbox. Paul was a tent maker. And, and Paul's job made it possible for him to travel around and start churches because Paul could take his tent making tools and he could go to any city he wanted and all he had to do was set up shop, buy some fabric, and he could start making tents while he was planning churches. In fact, Paul's job facilitated his spiritual mission. Do you think Paul was like, my calling is to be a tent maker? No way. But Paul's job as a tent maker facilitated the spiritual mission that God had given him. He had partners, Aquila and Priscilla, who were also tent makers. And they were key partners with him in traveling around and planting churches. Their sign said, Paul and Aquila, Priscilla, Priscilla, tent makers. It didn't say, Paul, apostle, and people would come by and get advice. It didn't work that way. Paul was a tent maker. He had a job. And for you, your job whether it's a workplace or whether it's you're a student and going to school, your job is just the environment in which you fulfill your spiritual mission because your job is not your job. Your job is just the place that gets you to where God wants you to go and to fulfill what God created you to fulfill. This is interesting. So Paul kind of sets all that stuff up, right? And then he goes on to kind of give some, some examples of how is this played out in the real world? What does it look like to live your life as a representative or ambassador to Christ? And he gives examples. And he starts off with relational examples. 
And he starts this way. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And then he says, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Okay, let's just for clarity's sake, okay? Paul is not saying, and just some people get this wrong and use this as a hammer. A lot of husbands are like, this is my favorite verse in the world. This is what this means. A godly marriage, a Jesus-centered marriage, is a marriage of mutual submission. I lay down 100% of my rights and privileges and I focus on meeting 100% of your needs. I don't worry about myself. In fact, I surrender and I sacrifice all that I want to invest completely in you and what you want. And then what you do is you do the same thing. You surrender all your rights, all your privileges, all the things that you want for yourself. You don't worry about those things at all and you focus on meeting my needs 100%. And when I am focused on meeting 100% of your needs, your needs are getting met. And when, when you focus on 100% of my needs, my needs are getting met. That's, that's Christ-centered marriage. And, G, and Paul's saying this, to live your lives out in your marriage as ambassadors of Christ, that's what it looks like. So yeah, husbands, you can ask your wives to submit and focus completely on meeting your needs, but you know what you gotta do? You gotta do the same thing. It's called mutual submission. Everybody on board, right? It's 50-50. We all do the same thing. So Paul's saying, this is, this is how it's lived out. He continues, he's like, children, as an example for children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Children, as ambassadors, of Jesus, you need to honor your parents. You're like, you're like, but yeah, Chris, my parents are stupid. They don't understand. Like, they just don't get it. They don't know. It's like, it's weird. I'm 16, and I found I'm smarter than my parents already. And I know what that's like, because when I was 16, I knew I was smarter than my parents, too. In fact, when I was 16, I was smarter than everybody, and I just knew it. But I'm telling you, Paul's seen this as an ambassador, as a representative of Jesus. Honor and respect your parents. But yeah, Chris, you don't understand. My parents are jerks. My parents are always pushing me to do things I don't want to do. Well, okay, that's, gr- that's tough for you, but, but Paul says if you want to be representative of Jesus, you need to honor your parents. You need to put down your rights, and you need to focus on meeting their needs. But then what Paul does, he says this, parents, dads, he starts with dads, right? He says, dads, don't aggravate your children because they're going to become discouraged. And all the kids are like, bro, amen. Can I shout that out? Parents, don't provoke. Don't push your children. Focus on meeting their needs. Don't worry about what you need. Like, you, want, you don't want to wash the dishes. Like, here's the thing. We're like, I, I give my kids chores because they need to learn responsibility. Well, maybe, but like, let's be honest. The truth is, I just don't want to wash the dishes. I don't want to let the dogs out. I don't want to clean up their poop. I don't want to do any of that stuff. Kids, it's time to do your chores. Learn responsibility. Don't aggravate your children. It's mutual submission. It's putting other people's needs first. And Paul's saying, this is how we are representatives of Jesus, ambassadors of him in the world. So he starts out with these examples. And I think for the most part, all of us can be like, I can get down with that example. These relational examples, I, I'm, I can follow that. I think, I think if Paul had stopped there, most of us would say, yeah, that's good. But then Paul goes on and, he, and he, he writes something that today is probably one of the more controversial verses in the Bible. And it's something that has been used and leveraged in, in, in completely wrong ways throughout history. But Paul continues and he says this. Another example. He says, slaves... Obey your earthly masters in everything you do. What? Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord and work willingly at whatever you do. Now this is interesting because, you know, we could go back in history and we could say and look at it and say, well, you know, slavery was different in Roman times. And to some degrees, it was. To some degrees, if you were a slave in Roman times, you could have a nice job and you could be really well taken care of. You could buy your way out of, of slavery. Some people, they, they had debts and so they became, slavery until they became slaves until their debts were paid. And we could look at that and we could, you know, you know wash it off and say, it's not so bad. But it wasn't all like that. There were legit 
real slaves who were really abused, who were in really crappy situations. When you were a slave in Roman times, you were completely owned. Slaves were not just used for hard labor. I mean, slaves were definitely used for hard labor. And the ones who were used on that for hard labor, they didn't live very long. Their life, their life cycle was not long. Slaves had no rights to their own bodies. Slaves could be used sexually by their owners, and there was nothing they could do about it. It was perfectly acceptable in Roman times. Slaves had a hard time. And so when Paul writes this, it's like, okay, what are you saying here? And first thing I want to make sure we understand is this. Just some background, okay? Paul and the New Testament, Jesus, are not pro-slavery. Passages like this have been used in history to validate slavery and to try and push slaves in different environments down and to, to force and encourage them to do what their masters wanted them to do. But Scripture is not pro-slavery. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he actually addresses this issue of slaves. And he says this, he says, if you're a slave and you can get free, you need to do it, okay? If you can find your freedom, you need to take advantage of that. And I don't know if Paul was saying, you know, you need, if you can buy your way out of slavery, you need to do that. Or if Paul was like, I'm not going to put this in writing, but if you can run, you need to run. But Paul says, if you are a slave and you can find your freedom, you need to get it. And I will say this, the circumstances of slavery, particularly modern day slavery, are not to be encouraged. And there's nothing in all of Scripture, if you look at it as a whole, if you look at all of the New Testament, everything that Jesus taught and beyond, there's nothing in there in the big picture that would say that slavery is anything to be encouraged or anything that is good. And, and that's why you can even look back at the previous examples. You know, when, when Paul talks about relational examples, he says, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. But he's not saying, wives, you need to submit to physically abusive husbands. Wives, don't submit to physically abusive husbands. Children, don't obey your parents to harm. Don't obey your parents if they're directing you and instructing you to do something that will hurt you. That is not scripture. That's not God's heart. And tough passages like these, they need to be taken in the context of the entirety of Jesus' teaching and the entirety of the New Testament. So that was just kind of a side note, okay? Because I don't want us to get stuck on this. I want us to really understand what Paul is saying, what, what Paul's communicating. Because what Paul's saying really does answer a question for all of us. He gives relational examples. What does it look like to be an ambassador of Jesus in relationship? And now he says this. What does it look like to be an ambassador and a representative of Jesus, excuse me, as it relates to our work? How do you work as a representative of Jesus? How should you view your job? How should you view your boss? How should you view your effort as a student in junior high, as a student in high school, or as a student in college? How should you view those things, particularly if you hate it? How should you view your employer or your teachers when you feel like a slave? How do you respond to them when you feel like every day when you clock in, every day when you sit at that desk, that you're putting time in at a place that you hate? What does it look like? And Paul says this. He says it looks like, it looks like someone who's serving willingly. It looks like someone who's serving sincerely, working willingly. And it looks like someone who's trying to please their employer. Trying to, please their, trying to please their co-workers, trying to please their teachers and their professors. And why? Here's why. Paul continues. He says this in verse 23. Work willingly at what you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than working for people. Work willingly at what you do as though you are working for the Lord, as though you're working for people. So your job is not your job, Okay. It's, it's not your calling. Your job, is not your, your job is a representative of Jesus. But 
Your boss is also not your boss. The person who signs your checks is not your boss. Your employer is not your boss. We don't, we don't just sit through the motions and go through the motions at work or at school. We excel. We're called to excel. Why? Because, because whether you're working for State Farm or whether you're working for ISU or whether you're working for McDonald's, whatever it is, we are working for Jesus. Jesus is our boss. Jesus is the person who we are striving and we are working for. We aren't just studying or doing homework for our teachers or for our parents. We're studying to excel at school for Jesus. We're not just doing it for a diploma. We're doing it for our Lord. We're students for Jesus. Followers of Jesus are called to go into every environment that they are part of and elevate it. That's a calling of followers of Jesus. Our calling is to go and elevate every environment that we are in for Jesus' sake. We're called to go in and say, I'm going to elevate this thing. I'm not working for my own good, but I'm working for the good of others. And you know what's amazing about that? How counterculture is that? How counterculture is it for us to go in and say, I'm going to put on that stupid pink hat, and I'm going to wear it with pride. I might even wear it all the way on my drive home. You know why? Because I'm wearing that hat for Jesus as a representative of him. Because I'm not doing this for my own good, but I'm doing it for the good of those around me. And Paul continues, he says this. He says, your job is not your job, and your boss is not your boss. Big picture, life stuff. And then he wraps it up, and he says this. Remember that when you do this, that the Lord will give you an inheritance— as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. Remember, Paul's talking to slaves who have human masters who own them legally. Paul says, I know your, your circumstances suck. I know it's awful. I know it's not right. But you've got to remember the big picture. Your master is Christ, and the work that you are doing, you will receive an inheritance for it when you do it unto the Lord. Your job is not your job. Your boss is not your boss. And then lastly, your paycheck is not your paycheck. What you deposit into the bank, it might be what God uses to pay your bills, but that paycheck is not your paycheck when it comes to your big picture calling as an ambassador of Jesus. Because Paul calls it inheritance. Who gets an inheritance? Slaves don't get inheritances. Employees don't get an inheritance. Who gets an inheritance? Children, family, you are not God's employee. You know what else? You are not God's slave. God didn't just transfer ownership of you from your earthly, earthly master to him so that he can lord it over you as, as if you are still a slave working for him. God took you out of slavery and he said this, I'm adopting you as my own. I'm adopting you as a child. You are God's inheritor. You are not a slave anymore. And you know what that means? It means you're an owner in the kingdom of God. You're vested. You got stock. You're a stakeholder in the kingdom of God now because you own it. You are an owner. And you know what owners do? You know what owners do in businesses? Owners clean toilets. Owners do gross work because they see the big picture. They see the things that maybe employees who work in minimum wage don't care about or miss. Because owners do everything that needs to be done in order to advance the mission of their business. And you are an owner in the kingdom of God. You, it is your inheritance. You are a child of God. You are in the family business. And when you understand that, you can begin to understand this, that God uses our jobs and God uses our schools in ways to bless us that otherwise we couldn't expect. 
when your job, when you realize that your job is not your job, when you realize that your boss, he's not really your boss, and when you realize that the paycheck you get, that that's not really the pay that matters, that you're inheriting something bigger. So I'm going I'm to close here, and as I close, I just want to wrap up. Just, I'm going to just talk to you how this has been played out in my life. Just a couple examples of how this perspective has played out for me and how God has used these things. So I've had, I've had several different career paths in my life. Uh, my first career out of college was I was in a band. And, I, and for several years, I traveled, I toured, playing music. And, and as I did that, there were things that I learned and things that were developed in me in that career path that God used. And the reality is that, like, it, it was fun and it was, you know, glamorous from the outside. But, dude, it's not glamorous to sleep in a van that has no heat in the middle of December on the side of a truck stop, you know, where I literally opened up my suitcases and I've got all the shirts in my suitcase wrapped up on me as I'm sleeping on a van seat. It's not glamorous, okay? But when I was in a band, God taught me things. God developed things in me. God taught me how to communicate to big groups of people. He taught me how to be comfortable on a stage so that I could connect with an audience and connect with big groups. Being in a band taught me leadership and self-management because it was us against the world. Nobody cared about us except us. And so if we were gonna make something happen, we had to make it on our own. We had to manage ourselves. And in the process of all the things that working and being in a band taught me, merchandising, you know, website, graphic design, the things that you need to learn to be successful in that are all things that God developed in me. And those were all things skills that I've used in, in other callings that God has had in my life. There are things that I've used in the planting and launching of Compass Church. They're things I use every day. When I was in the band, I met some really good friends in another band, Lewis and Stacy. Um, and if you don't know them, Lewis and Stacy were on staff at Compass um, until last year when I fired them. I didn't fire them. But last year, last year, we planted another church out of Compass because we felt like that was something that God had called us to do. And we didn't have money and we didn't have a lot of people in our church and God said, I want you to plant a church. So Lewis and Stacy led 40 people out of Compass and we were good with it, but they started Nexus Church that's meeting in town right now. And that means this, is that my time in a band developed a relationship with people who become lifelong friends and Nexus Church doesn't exist if I hadn't worked in a band, if that hadn't been my career. Nexus Church doesn't exist. After I quit the band, I started my job as a debt collector. And I was, I was in collections for a lot of years. And can I tell you, that was a job I hated. I hate, dude, calling people and asking them for money that they owe, it's awful. I can't tell you how many times I got cussed out. I can't tell you how many bomb threats we had. One time, this was weird, one time a, a grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan, who just I happened to be collecting a debt from, he tried to recruit me <laughs> to be in the KKK. I wanted him to pay his bill, so I was very nice to him. <laughs> I didn't sign on the dotted line, but that, that was a weird thing that happened. But being a debt collector was tough. It was hard. But you know what I learned? I learned how to talk to people in some of the most painful and difficult times in their lives. I learned how to think about them not as debtors, but as people who needed help, as people who needed some guidance. And so I approached things that way rather than, you owe me money, you owe me money, you debtor, you dirty debtor, you owe your money. It was like, how, let me help you out of this. Let me help you find a path. I learned how to help people who are just in terrible circumstances. I, I went into management in debt collecting really quickly, which was also super weird to go from like, I'm just in a band. That's all I do. That's all I know. And now all of a sudden I'm like working with million dollar budgets and I'm like leading teams of people. I fired people, which that's weird. I mean, if you ever fired someone, you know, like the first time you fire someone, it's like, wow, that's tough. And I got pretty good at it. Just so you know, <laughs> Kevin, watch out. But as a debt collector, as a manager in debt collector, I learned how to deal with big finances, million-dollar budgets. I learned how to lead teams of people and manage people one-on-one. I, I, I developed a relationship with one of my bosses in debt collections 
that has, that has a, a friendship, almost a family relationship, that, that as we planted Compass, he has funded so much of what we've done simply because of our relationship. His company, there's people in our congregation right now who are part of that company because he gave me an office when we launched Compass and we didn't have a building. He said, I'm just going to put you up in my office. I'm going to call you our chaplain. And you just do nothing. You just sit there and do whatever work you want. Because of a relationship that I developed with him because I was a stinking debt collector and I hated it. But, but Compass wouldn't exist without his generosity. It w Compass wouldn't exist if he hadn't hired Terry on when we moved back to town to start a church. Compass wouldn't be here. And it all happened because I was a debt collector. God used it. He leveraged it. He developed skills in me that prepared me for ministry. And then finally, the last one I want to talk to you about was my very first job in ministry. My very first church that I worked for. I was 29. I'd worked in the real world for a decade after college. And and I got called into ministry, part of a church plant, and I thought, this is going to be incredible, and I'm going to go, and it's just, God's just beam of sunshine is going to shine on me because I'm finally fulfilling my calling. And can I tell you something? I had the worst boss I've ever had in my life at my first ministry job, and I hated it. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I know you're not supposed to say that pastors are bad people or bad bosses, so I won't. I'll imply it, and you guys can do what you want with that. But, man, it was an impossible working environment. It was brutal. It was abusive. It was, it was just the worst. And nine months into that, I was like, Terry and I were like, we can't do this. This is not going to work. We cannot work for him. It's awful. I would come home just beaten up and Terry would just cry. And God kept us there for almost five years. And we're like, God, lead us out. Take us somewhere else. You've got to just get us somewhere else. This is awful. We can't do this. But you know what God did in that time? In a job that I absolutely just hated working for the people, the person I was working for, is, is he developed something in me. He changed my character. He taught me humility. I had to humble myself every day and say yes, sir, to things that I didn't want to do. Yes, sir, to things that I knew were wrong. Yes, sir, to things that I hated. God used it to humble me. He used it to develop character and integrity in me that I didn't have and I didn't even know was lacking. You know what else? I learned how to plan a church. I developed a passion for people who are completely unchurched, people who are far from God, people who just don't know anything about what church is or what it's all about at all. God developed all of these things in me because I spent five years working for a guy who made my life a living hell. And all I wanted to do was get away. And I can look back at every second of it and I can say God used it because my job wasn't my job. That boss, he wasn't my boss. And that paycheck wasn't my paycheck. And Compass doesn't exist. This church doesn't exist. Our vision and our mission to make God accessible to everyone in our community doesn't exist. If we hadn't suffered in a job, in a place that we hated. And I can look back at every job I've ever had and I can see how God has used it to advance his mission in my life. And I can look back and I can see how God has used it to advance the mission that he's given me, the big life mission. Your job is not your job. Your boss is not your boss and your paycheck is not your paycheck. As I close, maybe you have a job and you love it. You know, maybe, maybe you're thrilled with your career and it's, it's just awesome and you're thriving. Maybe your job is because
become boring and it's, and it's mundane and it's kind of stale. And if that's you, maybe you need to ask God to give you a fresh perspective on what it is that he wants to do in your life at your job or at your school. Maybe you're one of those people and you hate your job. Maybe you're a person who gets up every day to go to school and you just dread it and you wish you could do anything. Just literally the idea of dropping out it sounds like such a win. I would encourage you with this. There's a person that you will become when you come out on the other side of it that you would never be. There are relationships that you will never have and there are blessings in your life that you would never experience if you didn't wait it out and walk through it as a representative, as an ambassador of Jesus. Because God's mission is a life mission. It's not a 40-hour-a-day work week or 40-hour-a-week work week mission. It's not eight hours at school mission. It's your life. And God can use all of it. And God will use all of it to advance your calling and your purpose. Your job is not your calling, but it can serve your calling. If you trust God, if you live the life that he's called you to. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.